The Christmas story isn't just another story. It's our story. And it's not a finished story. It's the beginning of a story that's still being told. All the sights, all the sounds, and all the songs of Christmas are meant to remind us that this isn't just a random collection of words on a page. It's a story that's been crafted with great intention and care. A story that was created with every person in mind. A story that was meant for you and meant for me. Well, I am glad that you are here today. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and our hope during this Christmas season, I'll get to this little piece of wood in a minute, uh, is that you would experience joy. And because we want you to experience joy, let's just be honest. For some people, joy is so easy, especially at Christmas time. For other people, it can be a real challenge. What we want you to know is you can experience joy all year round in spite of your circumstances. And so what we're going to do is we're going to release a brand new podcast this weekend with one of our favorite people, therapist and counselor, Mike Black. I already had a number of people grab me this weekend and say, Grant, thank you for the podcast on joy. You and Laurel just had, we need, I needed it. I just needed it. And so I hope you'll go and take a look at that. We would invite you. You can search it on any of the platforms with continuing the conversation. So I've been preaching the Christmas story of Christ the King for 23 years. That's a long time. And yet I can say that preaching the story of Jesus coming to the earth, it never, ever, ever gets old. So let me recap the story for you. The story begins with God, who loved people so much he refused to allow them to die in their sin. And instead of giving sinful mankind what they deserved, which was rightful punishment for their sin, God created a plan to allow his only son to become a helpless baby. And to become a once and for all sacrifice to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. So here's the concept. God would become a man and save his people not only from their sin but from themselves. And God chose two unlikely individuals to care for the precious gift of his son. Joseph and Mary were a Jewish couple. They were betrothed to be married. You could call betrothal an engagement with the wedding vows and the promises already set. Okay, It was a binding contract. So Mary and Joseph are called into this amazing story in two different angelic encounters into this story that we would sum up with the word Emmanuel, God with us. The announcement of their unplanned pregnancy creates a bit of a, a, a contentious backdrop because judgment and shame comes from their communities. But in spite of the stigma that came with this unplanned pregnancy, neither of them step back from the invitation from God. They make a treacherous and an arduous pilgrimage to Bethlehem in the late stages of pregnancy to register their citizenship. And while they arrive, unbeknownst to them, shepherds are on a hillside being welcomed into this cosmic drama as they hear the good news that a savior has been born. And they don't just hear it from people, they hear it from an angel choir. The shepherds seek out the baby. They arrive at the stable. A few years later, wise men from the east follow a star that brings them to the Savior, and they offer to Jesus what a king actually deserves, worship. And all the way through the story, you keep seeing people making room. In the Christmas story, Mary made room for a baby, a miracle baby. Mary embraced the interruption of her life and her community with these simple words to the angel. When you think about it, would this be your response if an angel showed up one day and said, you're going to be a part of the greatest plan to save humankind? Would you have responded, may it be to me as you have said? 
I think I would have had some questions, but that's the way Mary responds to the call of this angel to be involved in the story. May it be to me as you have said. And in saying that, Mary surrenders convenience and maybe a few dreams and the rest of her life to make room for Jesus, a miracle baby. Joseph, her betrothed, and then her husband. Joseph made room for discomfort. If you read the story of Joseph, he loses his righteous reputation. He loses his family's blessing. He loses his innocence to the gossip and the rumors and, uh, of a community. And that was a large price to pay for a young man who prided himself in having done all the right things. What I love about Joseph is even though he had an option to take an easy way out, instead of choosing that easy way out, Joseph follows the instructions of God's angelic messenger and he embraces the discomfort of obedience. Here's something we need to know. Obedience can be uncomfortable, but it's always worth it. The outcasts of the story, the shepherds, they made room too. They made room for a new message. Israel had been waiting for a Messiah for years, for decades. Prophecies had foretold of this coming Messiah. And on that very first Christmas Eve, this group who we're going to talk about next week, who'd been shunned by society, judged by culture, they get included on the guest list to the birthday of a king. They come to a stable. I want you to picture this. And those who spent their lives raging, raising and nurturing lambs, they meet the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world through his own sacrifice. There's a moment at the end of the Bible that tells us one day, all of creation, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And this is what we're going to say together. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb of God. Worthy is Jesus, our king. And our worship is gonna be bookended with the worship of some other seekers who came to worship the king of heaven in the form of a little child. These seekers were the wise men and they made room for worship. They brought treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought other treasures as well. Devotion, time, and pursuit. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that the Christmas story was meant for them. And we're also going to see that the Christmas story was meant for you and that it was meant for me. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the wise men. They all made room, but let's add one more character today. The innkeeper, he did not, or did he? I want to read you the story of the innkeeper, even though, to some of your surprise, <laughs> he's not actually in the story. Are you ready? Here it comes, Luke chapter two. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the son of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So there it is. <laughs> or isn't, right? The truth is, there's no actual mention of an innkeeper in the story at all. He's been inferred into the story because of that simple line. There was no guest room available for them. There's three basic schools of thought when it comes to the innkeeper. One's the classic view, right? 
The classic view that's been perpetuated by Christmas pageants for years upon years upon years, that the innkeeper, the innkeeper is a grumpy little fifth grade boy <laughs> who shows up in his bathrobe, opens a cardboard door to the inn, cops all of this emotion inside of him and says to Joseph and Mary these words that he's been practicing for weeks, right? No room! <laughs> then he slams the door and goes back inside. He's the second villain of the story after King Herod. And the point with him is he strategically and purposely, he has no room for Jesus. That's the classic view. The second view of the innkeeper comes from a writer by the name of Todd Boland. He says this. He said, the word translated as in is the word kataluma. And that's, that's true. Which is used elsewhere by Luke and is translated as guest chamber or upper room. The result of this possible translation leads to a different understanding of the story. It's not that Joseph and Mary were late to town, it's that they were rejected by their family. Clearly, they had family members in town, as that was the reason they returned to Bethlehem for the census. That there was no room in the guest chamber for a young pregnant woman indicates their own family chose to not make room for them because she was an unwed mother. The birth of Jesus in a room where animals lived suggested both shame and rejection. Tara Johnson is an incredible writer. And she wrote these words about that perspective. She goes, this puts a whole new spin on the birth of Jesus, doesn't it? Rejected by his own even before he was born. The thought of what Mary and Joseph endured as young people pierces my heart. In times of desperation, we see the most despicable callousness of humanity. And yet we also stand in wonder that the sweetness of God's grace and the gentle touch from the kindness of strangers whether no room was the result of a stressed out innkeeper or judgmental family members, the result was the same. Those who pushed Mary, Joseph, and Jesus away missed out on the greatest blessing to ever sweep planet Earth. If they only knew who was coming. If they only knew there were shepherds trembling on a hillside watching the heavens flood with angels proclaiming the good news. If they only heard the sound of God filling the quiet room with a lusty cry. The author of life crying peace into the darkness. What beauty... What mind-bending astonishment. But those who pushed him away missed it all. Don't miss Christmas. The third possibility is actually a complete flip of the first two. This view is that the innkeeper did not have room for them in his establishment, but he made room for them in an inauspicious place, like a stable, because that was what he had to offer but at least he offered what he had. You know, the truth is, none of us knows the story behind the innkeeper, but what we do know is this. The stable was a strategic part of God's plan. The birthplace of the heavenly king was not an accident. It was a message of humility, servanthood, and love. And even though we don't know the full scope of the role of the innkeeper, there's still a central truth and a question we've got to grapple with this Christmas. We all have to walk ourselves through both a statement and a question. Here's the statement. We're all the innkeeper. Every single one of us, we're all the innkeeper trying to figure out if we have room for Jesus. And here's the question for every one of us today. Do I have room for Jesus? Let me say it again. Do I have room for Jesus as I celebrate 
his birthday and his arrival. Here at the beginning of the month of December, I want to challenge you to intentionally and purposefully make room for Jesus this Christmas. I'd like to give you a series of statements that I pray and hope that you can make your own over the next number of weeks as we walk through these next weeks so that you can be intentional in making space so that you can connect with God knowing that he promises that he will connect with you. So here we go. Number one, I will make room in my words. During this season, as you focus on God, I believe God is calling us to choose our words wisely. Not just to talk to fill up empty space or because we like the sound of our own voice. No, to strategically limit our words so that we can quiet our heart. To strategically choose what words you're going to allow to come out of your mouth and what words you're going to allow to soak into your heart. This is not just about talking less. It's about making room for godly words to impact you that are going to flow back out of you in measured amounts so that people see there's a difference in you because of Jesus. The Bible actually speaks to this in Ecclesiastes 5. It says, do not be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You're on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. This isn't about just trying to to govern down the number of verbal volume cues that come out of your mouth. No, it's about learning to discipline ourselves, to quiet our hearts so that we've got space for love and joy and peace and hope. And it actually starts with understanding who God truly is and who we are in light of our relationship with him. Secondly, I'll make room in my priorities. For the next 20 days or so, life is gonna get a little bit crazy. And the last thing we wanna do is just survive the Christmas season. And instead, as the people of God, here's the opportunity we have. We have the opportunity to choose differently. We can prioritize differently. We can prioritize joy because we actually know the guest of honor. We know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We know why Jesus came. We can celebrate the fact that he came here so that Christmas could be meant for me and for you. We can prioritize peace and as ambassadors of reconciliation, help bring people back together again. This is gonna throw some of you, but we can prioritize gifts, not because of materialism, because God the Father gave the greatest gift of all, his son Jesus. And in doing all of that, here's what's happening. We're prioritizing the quieting of our heart in all of the chaos because that's not only a gift to God, it's a gift to ourselves. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, rather, which means that there's something else going on here. Rather, it should be that of yourself, your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. This is not holding yourself back or restraining yourself. This is about understanding that out of a quiet spirit, all that God has for us in this Christmas season is available to us. What is of great worth in God's sight? It's a quiet heart that overflows literally with hope, joy, peace, and love. This is about having that light of God shine so brightly out of your soul that people around you go, what is up with you? What's going on with you? It's Christmas 
and I know Jesus. That's what's going on with me. And people should be able to see and sense a difference. This next one is an extension of priorities. I will make room in my schedule. I want to challenge you to strategically include Jesus in every single day. The way you do that is by refusing to allow him to be pushed to the periphery. You don't allow him to get crowded out because you're just too busy. It's about making Jesus the most important part of his birthday celebration. It's about allowing him to take his rightful place as the centerpiece of all that Christmas is. And the way we do this is we not only make the time, we redeem the time. All time belongs to God. So we make time and redeem time to pray and reflect and worship and to allow the joy of Christmas to just flow out of us. You know, it's interesting to me. Jesus was always being pushed by the demands of people. I know some of you are already looking at your Christmas schedule and you're just like, this is gonna be crazy. I hate to tell you, your Christmas schedule is not even close to what Jesus had on his plate. His schedule was busy, and yet this was his practice. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The king of kings, when he was pushed and pressed, would often withdraw to lonely places and pray. Some of you need to strategically find moments in the days that are coming to withdraw to a lonely place so that you can pray. What does that mean for us? I mean, it's basic stuff. Exercise some boundaries. Say no to some calendar invites. And don't just pull away for the sake of pulling away, but pull away strategically so that you can connect with Jesus. This is about choosing some peace and quiet so that you can dedicate yourself to actually praying for peace on earth or peace in your family or peace in your office or peace wherever else you need it. Which leads to the next one. I'll make room in my prayers. If you want to get the most out of Christmas, find a quiet place, take your Bible, reflect on the gift that Jesus is, and talk to God the Father about his indescribable gift that was meant for you. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, And pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is not a time to pull away from God. It's a time to press in to the presence of God. You see, when we meet God, and I mean truly meet with God to talk and to listen, to worship and to focus, to draw away and hear his heart for us, this is the great reward. It's him. He is the great reward. And it only comes when we make a decision that I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually lift up the amount of my prayer life right now because I don't know about you, but I could, I could use more prayer during the Christmas season, not less. Here's another beautiful and challenging one. I will make room in my family. Christmas is time to embrace peace, love, And hope, it's also a time because of the message to reconnect, to forgive, and to seek reconciliation. This is so practical. And I know some of you, because of your body language already, you're already just indicating, Grant, you have not met my family. (laughs) Like, seriously. You know what I love about the family 
tree of Jesus, it was a mess. It was a mess. This is so practical. It's time to make your family a place where you live out these words. And it doesn't matter how they respond to it. It's just whether or not you're willing to step across the line and bring Jesus into the center of your gatherings. But when you do that, I want to give you a snapshot of what love is supposed to look like inside of every single one of our families. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is patient. When your annoying Uncle Bob shows up and acts like Uncle Bob always does, love is patient. When you're standing in line at the store and there's one poor, exhausted person working behind the till and everyone has shredded them about the fact that their return code doesn't match their receipts, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I love this last line. Love never fails. Love never fails. What I love about 1 Corinthians 13 is that words are interchangeable because the Bible tells us God is love. Well, Jesus is God, God is love, which means you can superimpose the name of Jesus into every one of these examples. And if you look at the way Jesus dealt with his family, it just encourages us that we have to take a different road if we're gonna see reconciliation and forgiveness come into our family systems. Why is that possible? Because Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. He doesn't envy or boast. He's not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Why? Because Jesus never fails. I love this next one. I'll make room in my heart. It's so easy during this season to become so myopic and only focus on my needs and, and, and my dysfunction and my brokenness. And Jesus is calling us to make room for actually seeing people, not ignoring them. He's calling us to help people and not just hope that somebody else helps that particular person. Jesus is calling us to sacrifice and give and bring and include. Why? So that people can experience the love of Jesus through us. During the CTK blessing, I, I, I read a passage of scripture to you. It was the motivation as to why we do the things that we do. And it's even more magnified during this Christmas season because the needs continue to grow and grow and grow. And in Matthew 25, this is what Jesus says about looking towards meeting the practical needs of people around us. And I'll tell you how practical this is. Every single Tuesday, when the Bellingham Food Bank sets up in our parking lot, every week, here's what happens. The line gets longer and longer and longer and longer. People need someone to see a need and meet it. That was the heart of Jesus in Matthew 25. He said, for I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. And then they answer. They were a group of people who just didn't have it in their schedules or in their time to make room for the heart of God. 
They said, they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And that would be an incredibly discouraging scripture if you didn't flip it over and realize that Jesus is saying, do you understand the Christmas opportunity you have? Whatever you do for anyone in need, supernaturally, you're doing to Jesus. When you see a need and meet it, you're doing it to Jesus. Let's not miss out on an opportunity to miss this amazing aspect of Christmas. How we respond to the real needs of others is how we respond to Jesus. It's an amazing time, I'm gonna say it again. See a need and meet it. Why? Because God saw our need and he met it in Jesus. One more, I'll make room in my mind. Boy, this is a challenge for me. My mind is always spinning with way too many things to do. <laughs> Christmas, is Christmas messages I gotta write, I got places to be, the crush of the season comes rushing in. And I don't know about you, but when the calendar starts to fill up and there's just a lot of things happening and then you've got a Christmas list that you gotta get through and those things gotta be decorated and you gotta get to this thing and that thing and all the rest of it, what's the first thing that disappears? Peace. But what if we made space slow down, pause, to see and experience Jesus. I wonder whether or not the byproduct or the result of that would be an increasing joy that affects the lives and the hearts of everyone in our world. What if we saw Jesus as if Christmas was meant just for me? Listen to the promises of God from the Father to you. Isaiah 26, verse three. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Isaiah 30. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Underline these words. In quietness and trust is your strength. Let me read the last couple lines but you would have none of it. Isn't that sad? God the Father says, I'm offering you quietness, trust, love, joy, peace, passion. I'm offering all of this to you, just like I offered this group of Israelites 700 years before Jesus even arrived, and they would have none of it. That last phrase is so compelling to me. Peace, love, and hope was right there in front of them, and they chose not to have it. Why? Because they wouldn't make room. we can make room. <laughs> Instead of having none of it, we can have all of it. Everything that Christmas was intended to be is available to every single one of us. It's there for the taking. We just have to open our hands and receive the gift. I believe one of the ways that happens is when we strategically make room. So we're gonna make some room right now. We're actually gonna practice what we preach. Every week during this series, I'm gonna give you opportunities. Like when Kua was singing over you for you just to, to take a breath and go, okay, I'm just gonna like release all of the stuff and the cares and the worries and I'm gonna focus on Jesus where I need to put my focus. We're gonna give you room and we're gonna practice it right now. In many ways, 
Making room for Jesus is even harder today than it was for Bethlehem's innkeeper a long time ago. Especially during the holidays, we fill our schedules. Not with bad things. I don't know about you. We actually fill our schedule with good things. Time with the people we love, that we enjoy the most, obligations and good things about the season. The problem, though, is even though they're good things, they can push Jesus to the side. And when that happens, we end up missing the very best thing, which is time with Jesus the one who loves us the most. So this December, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna invite you to engage in a simple, meaningful prayer time. It's only gonna take a few minutes of your day, but I promise you it will help you dial in what matters the most during the season. It's based on an ancient practice called the prayer of examen. Some of you would pronounce it examen. Either one is fine. But just because it's ancient doesn't mean it's not relevant. In fact, I believe it's more relevant today than ever. Making room for Jesus begins with a simple prayer of invitation. It's turning towards God, asking for his perspective, and then opening up your heart and quieting your heart enough to receive his input. And the prayer sounds just like this. Jesus, you're with me wherever I go. So together, let's take a look at my life and help me to see it all through your loving eyes. It's a simple short, a prayer of few words. Jesus, you're with me wherever I go, so together let's just take a look at my life and help me see all through your loving eyes. And then, after we've spoken out to God what we hope and dream, we simply put a a pair of questions there for ourselves, and then we listen to God's perspective on the theme. Here's the questions for this week the prayer of examine when it comes to making room. Question number one, when did I feel closest to God today? Some of you are like, Grant, we just cracked noon. (laughs) It's okay, I'm pretty sure there was still a moment when you felt the closest to God today. Second question, when did I feel the farthest from him? And then the final one is, God, where am I leaving you out of my life? And how do I make room for you there? So it's two questions to examine yourself through God's eyes and then a question directly to God. God, where am I leaving you out of my life? And how do I make room for you there? That's the spiritual practice or the prayer of examine. And I'm gonna invite you to do it with me right now. So I'm gonna need a little bit of help, okay? So I'm gonna ask, if you're a parent and you have a little one with you, if they make a peep in the next couple minutes, I'm gonna ask you to quickly move out of the room, not because we don't love your children, we do. That's why we have an incredible kids ministry and you should put your kids there as often as you can because it's (laughs) awesome, okay? But we wanna have a moment. At the 9.30 service, they went for 120 seconds without a peep. And I was blown away. Not by the fact that we were able to stay silent for a few minutes, but because of what people said God said to them in the quiet. So we're gonna take 120 seconds. For some of you, it's gonna seem like an eternity. Some of you are gonna be tempted to check Amazon. Some of you are gonna be checking your calendar because you've got a lot going on this afternoon. And that is exactly why we're doing this moment. 120 seconds of quiet and connection with Jesus, asking these questions. When did I feel closest to God today? When did I feel the farthest from him? 
And God, where am I leaving you out of my life? How can I make room for you there? 120 seconds. I'll keep time so you don't have to. Yes, I stole that line from Mr. Rogers without apology. It's a spiritual moment of opening our heart, knowing that whatever it is we converse with God about, the overarching result will be joy. Let's pray together and connect with God right now. Father, I thank you for what happens in our hearts when we make room for you. I thank you for moments to focus on Jesus, to have honest conversation about where we felt closest and where we felt farthest away. God, I thank you that your answer to where we're leaving you out is still kind because you want to fully, fully and truly enter into our Christmas season. 
God, give us wisdom to make room for you in the coming days, knowing that out of that will come fullness of joy. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. May we be truly spirit-filled and Christmas-ready. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.